Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. Well, good morning. Welcome to Silverdale Baptist Church. It's so awesome to see all of you here worshiping with us today. I'd like to welcome all of you here at our Bonnie Oaks campus. I'd also like to welcome those of you at our Creekside service or Bridges service or North Udawa or St. Elmo or any of you that may be worshiping online. If I haven't had a chance to meet you personally, I'm Tony Walliser. I'm one of the pastors here at Silverdale, and I have the privilege today to share with you God's Word. So this is what I want to encourage you to do. Go and take your Bibles and open up to the Gospel of John, chapter 9. The Gospel of John, it's the fourth book in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, chapter 9. You've got a smartphone, you can open that app as well to John, chapter 9. And then do this. Take out these Bible study outlines that we provide for you. We give you these outlines so you can follow along and take notes as we study God's Word together. We're beginning a, a brief little series in the Gospel of John called Encounters with Jesus. Because the Gospel of John is divided up with all these amazing encounters, and anytime somebody has an encounter with Jesus Christ, it changes them. In John chapter 1, you have Jesus' encounter with Nathaniel. In John chapter 3, it's with the religious leader Nicodemus. In John 4, it's the woman at the well. In John 5, it's a lame man by the pool. In John chapter 8, it's this some woman who's caught in adultery. And now, in John chapter 9, that's where we are today, Jesus encounters this man who is born blind. And from this passage, we're going to learn how Jesus opens the eyes of the blind. And that believing leads to seeing. Now, you may go, well, I've always heard that seeing leads to believing. Well, when it comes to Jesus spiritually, believing leads to seeing. Now, there's a lot of documentation and studies that have been done about people who are blind and how they begin to have a heightened awareness using their other senses, like especially with hearing. They can just hear better than people with their full sight. Um, I read a story recently about this lady who went to a you know, large sporting goods store and she was looking to buy a rod and reel for her grandson. And so she picks one out and then she comes to a sales associate and um, she says, I, I need some you know, answers to my question about you know, this rod and reel. And this associate had dark glasses on and he said, well, I'm actually blind. But if you will drop it on the counter, I will be able to tell you about it. She didn't really believe that, but she dropped it on the counter, and immediately he goes, oh yeah, that's a six-foot graphite rod with a Zebco 404 reel, and it has an eight-pound test line. She's like, that is amazing that you could detect that just by hearing it. And he goes, it's a good rod and reel for basic, you know, beginners, and, and it costs $20, and she said, I'll take it. 
And so um, basically he went around the register and, and, um, and so she pulls out her purse and then her wallet, but then she drops her credit card on the ground. And as she's bending over to pick up her credit card, she unintentionally passes gas very loudly. And um, she was very embarrassed, you know, and, but she's like, okay, this guy is, you know, blind. He's not going to be able to know who did that. And, and so he, you know, he does the register and he says, that's going to be thirty-one fifty. And she says, oh, $31.50? I thought it was $20. And he says, well, it's $20 for the rod and reel, but it's $1.50 for, I mean, $11.50 more for that duck call that I just heard you have. <laughs> he had perception, didn't he? Well, what we're going to learn in our passage today is that this blind man has incredible perception. He sees things that others don't see. Now, let's start off the passage in, in John chapter 9. The previous chapter, Jesus has basically, you know, been teaching in the temple, and he's leaving the temple, and as he's leaving the temple, he comes in contact with this man who's born blind. Look at it. It's John chapter 9, beginning verse 1. As he was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So this is a notoriously known blind man. Everybody's like, well, this guy was born blind. Notice Jesus' response, verse 3. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus answered. This came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. We must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am, the, uh, as, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After he said these things, he spit on the ground, made some mud from the saliva, and spread the mud on his eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. He left and washed and came back seeing. Now, in John chapter 9, we have this incredible story of this miraculous healing. But what we're going to discover is that Jesus alone is really the only one that's going to care for this guy. Why? Because this guy, we're going to find out later, is a, a beggar. I mean, uh, in that day, you know, if you had a disability, the only way you're ever able to financially take care of yourself is if you would beg. And so people knew that God had commanded, you know, the people of God to take care of the poor. And so, you know, in and out of the temple, you could have hundreds of people that are their alms for the poor, right? You know, just, they're, they're begging. And probably in that day, just like today, right? You know, you see people on the side of the road and they're asking for money. You know, your heart can become a little callous toward that. I know it does sometimes for me. I, um, I went to college in Dallas, Texas, um, Criswell Bible College, and, and it was located literally in the heart of Dallas. Now, I couldn't afford to park in downtown Dallas, and so what I did is I, um, you know, basically parked outside on the other side of the interstate and walked about 25 blocks in. But as I'm walking to school every day, I would always pass by this rescue mission. And um, every day, either coming or going, somebody would ask me for some money. And you get asked every day, sooner or later, what happens? You eventually get a little callous. Well, that's what's happening here. And so here's Jesus. He's passing by this man, and everybody else has grown callous to this man. The disciples are asking, hey, is this, is this guy a sinner? What, what's going on here? But not Jesus. Jesus looks at him like no one else looks at him. Why? Jesus sees every person as though they're created in the image of God. That's you. Jesus knows that you were knit together inside your mother's womb. And so whatever you're going through, Jesus feels it. He does. I mean, whatever troubles you, troubles him. Whatever hurts you, hurts him. Whatever sorrows, sorrows you, it grieves him. Whatever burden you have, it, it, it burdens him. Christ has compassion for you. 
and has compassion for this man. And so what does Jesus do? Look at how he responds again. Verse 3. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus answered. This came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. So he's about to heal this guy, right? But he's going to heal him in a very, very strange way. And so how is he going to heal him? Well, he's going to spit. Look at it. Verse 6. After he said these things, he spit on the ground. Does your Bible say spit on it? My Bible says spit, right? I mean, I've looked it up in the dictionary. It means to eject saliva, right? This is gross stuff, right? Look at it, verse six. After he said these things, he spit on the ground, made some mud from the saliva and spread the mud on his eyes. Jesus is spitting here in the Bible. Now, I know a lot about spitting. As a boy, I did a lot of spitting. In fact, I once got a spanking for spitting on my brother. Boys just have a tendency to spit, right? I mean, you know, you've probably seen, a, you know, in baseball, you got the pitcher, he's on the mound, he's about to throw the ball, and then he throws it, right? Or I remember taking a group to Six Flags of these guys who go up on this tower, and they're all right on the edge, see who can spit the furthest, right? That's boys. Now, you know, I don't think girls do that quite as much. I've never seen a girl, you know, on the sideline as a cheerleader, go team, go, go team, go. You, know, you just don't see that, right? It's just too undignified. And yet here is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and he's spitting. Now think about it. The disciples just asked him a very deep theological question. Why is this man born blind? What does Jesus do? They turn around and Jesus is on his hands and feet. And what is he doing? He's spitting on the ground. I mean, you can imagine like, oh, don't look. He's got a loogie hanging off his beard, Right? Or you can imagine, this is the temple. This is the temple area right outside the temple. So you get all these dignified people coming to worship God in the temple. And here's this guy on the side of the road on his hands and knees spitting and making mud pies. I mean, the disciples are probably thinking, Jesus, surely there's got to be a better way to heal somebody than this undignified way, right? Surely there's got to be a way. Jesus, haven't you seen the TV preachers where they hit you in the head and go, be healed, right? No, not Jesus. Jesus on his hands and knees spitting and making mud. Years ago, one of our missionaries, Walker Moore, challenged me. He said, have you ever done that before? He said, I, I, I encourage you, take a handful of dirt and see how long it takes you to make an eyeball size mud pie. And so I tried Can I just tell you, it took me 10 minutes. I'm going to hurry up the process here, okay? (laughs) What in the world is Jesus doing? He, He was on the side of the road spitting and making mud for minutes. This is embarrassing, isn't it? It's embarrassing me to do it in front of you. But can I tell you something? Long before Jesus got his hands bloody, he got his hands muddy. See, he gave a spit for this lost world. He cared. He, 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 he got down in the dirt with us. That's what Jesus is doing here. And so what we're going to see in this passage is that Jesus Christ, he, um, he loved enough to get his hands dirty. 
and so should we. Now, we're going to contrast what Jesus did versus every other person found in John chapter 9. And so, how did everybody else respond to this guy? Well, jot this down. Did the disciples care for him? No. Jot that down. The disciples didn't care for him. Disciples didn't care for him. I mean, to, to them, he was just some theological question, right? Look at it. In, in verse 2, his disciples asked him, Rabbi, teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, see, in that day and age, it was sort of thought that, okay, if you had some illness, well, God, that's God's punishment on you. That was their, their mindset. And so here's a guy who was born blind, so obviously his parents were either big sinners, or maybe God foreknew that he was going to be a big sinner, and so he punishes him in advance. And so literally, his whole life, this man has lived with a stigma, you're just a big sinner. You're under the judgment of God. I mean, think about it. He not only had to deal with his disability of being blind from birth, but he held the weight of that stigma. He's just a, he's just a, he's just a sinner. Years ago, my wife, Susan's best friend, was diagnosed with breast cancer. And when she was in the hospital after a surgery, her pastor came to visit her in the hospital, and um, he was very legalistic. And he said, you know, I, I really believe the reason why God has punished you with cancer is because um, you use birth control. You know, people like that need to be slapped. Can I hear amen to that, right? I mean, I mean, think about it. She eventually died of her cancer, but she also carried with her the, the weight of the judgmental attitude of other people. That's how this guy felt. I mean, think about it. I mean, here's the disciples in front of this man. Hey, who's the sinner here? I mean, they're, they're basically saying, you know, they wanted to play church. They wanted to play Sunday school. Teacher, teacher, tell us, you know, who, who, who's the sinner here? And they wanted to gather up in their little, you know, room in church and put a poster up. Let's have a discussion about this Jesus, right? They wanted to play church, and Jesus says, I ain't playing that. I don't talk about people. I care for people. See, God wants us outside the four walls of this church, God wants us to get our hands dirty. God wants us on our knees. God wants us to get in the dirt and help people where they're hurting. That's what God's called us to do. The disciples, they didn't care, but Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, this is what following Jesus looks like. The disciples didn't care. What about the other people that actually knew him? What about his neighbors? Jot this down. The neighbors never really actually really saw him. The neighbors didn't really see him. Now, in verse 7, it tells us that he washes, he's healed, he comes back seeing. Now, think about that. This man's never seen before. He's felt the sun, but he's never seen a sunrise or sunset. He's heard children playing, but he's never seen them play. He's going to come back to his neighborhood, and people that he will recognize by their voices, he gets to see for the very first time, his parents, his neighbors. But do they recognize him? Well, check it out. Look at it, verse 8. His neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar said, isn't this the one who used to sit begging? Some said he, he's the one. Others were saying, no, but he looks like him. And he kept saying, I'm the one. I'm the one. I mean, think about that. I mean, they, they weren't really sure. Is this really the same guy? And he has to identify himself. Why? Because even though they had seen him every day, they never did really see him, did they? I mean, I think I've shared before, that my dad's father was not a good man. My, my dad grew up in Switzerland, and um, my grandfather, his father, 
you know, was a cheat, a liar, an abuser, an alcoholic, stolen from my dad multiple times. And um, in fact, during World War II, my grandfather held Nazi meetings in their basement. Not a good guy. So whenever my dad got a chance, he left, immigrated to the United States. He joined the Air Force so that he could become a U.S. citizen, and he was stationed in Korea during the Korean War. And so he got this opportunity to get leave, and he said, well, I'm going to go back and visit my parents in Switzerland. So after several, you know, transport plane rides, he, he finds himself at his childhood home. He knocks on the door, and his dad answers the door and looks at him and says, yes, who are you? And my dad goes, it's Edwin, your son. He goes, what do you want? I just came home to visit my grandfather opens the door and turns his back and walks away. And my dad said, I never spoke to my dad again because I knew in that moment he could care less about me. Can I just tell you, that's the way this man felt. He had been seen, but he was never really seen. Why? Because everybody just saw him as this big sinner. Yeah, this is not somebody you care about. And can I just tell you, we sometimes do the same thing. We see people, but do we really see them? Do we really know them? Do we really know what's going on in their life? And so here they are. They're stumped. Okay, we've always seen this guy as a big sinner, but now he's healed. So where do you go whenever you got this big question? Well, back in that day, what you would do is you would go to the religious leaders who happened to be the Pharisees. So jot this down. How did the Pharisees treat him? The Pharisees didn't believe him. Jot that down. The Pharisees didn't believe him. Why? Because Jesus healed him on the Sabbath. Check it out, verse 13. They brought the man who used to be blind to the Pharisees. The day that Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes was a Sabbath. Oh no. Of all the days Jesus is going to heal, he heals him on the Sabbath. Now why is that a big deal? Because to the religious leaders, these Pharisees, they had all these man-made rules. You had the Sabbath, we were told in the Old Testament, we shouldn't work on the Sabbath, and they come up with all these rules. Okay, this is what work looks like. Healing is work. Making mud, well, that's work. And so, basically, they're going to question this man who's just been healed. No celebration, no, no, no. What it is, is it's like the Inquisition. Check it out, verse 15. Then the Pharisees asked him again how he received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, he told them. I washed and I could see. Some of the Pharisees says, this man is not from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, how can a sinful man perform such signs? And there was division among them. Now, why is there a division? Because they're like, it doesn't make any sense. This is obviously a healing. And yet he did it on the Sabbath, so that's wrong. And so, you know, there's just confusion back and forth. So they asked the man, well, what do you think? Verse 17, again, they asked the blind man, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? He replied, he's a prophet. Now, what's really interesting here is that earlier he described Jesus as a man. Now he's a prophet. Do you see what's happening in this passage? Those people who are blind are now beginning to see. And those people that claim to be so, have spiritual sight are going blind. And so look what happened. Their conclusion is, verse 18, the Jews did not believe this about him, that he was blind and received sight. Why? Because it, you know, it doesn't fit in their equation, their spiritual equation. They're like, okay, we've got these different things. Okay, this guy says he's born blind. Jesus heals on the Sabbath. Those two do not mix together. So therefore, one of these things is wrong. You're a liar. We don't believe you were healed. We don't believe you were blind. 
And so that was their conclusion of this man. And that was their conclusion until they bring in his parents. You would think, okay, I get that, you know, the disciples didn't care for him and the neighbors maybe didn't recognize him or the Pharisees, well, obviously they didn't know him, but surely now the parents are going to stand with him and celebrate with him, right? Wrong. Jot this down. The parents avoided him. The parents avoided him. I mean, the parents are brought in by the religious leaders and they begin to be questioned. Look at it, verse 18. The Jews did not believe this about him, that he was blind and received sight, until they summoned the parents of the one who had received his sight. They asked him, is this your son? The one you say was born blind? How then does he now see? And what's real interesting is their response. It's almost like they're talking to the IRS, right? Ever been audited before? You go, I'm only going to give them just the information they're looking for, no more, no less, right? Well, that's how they respond to this. Look at it, verse 20. We know this is our son and that he was born blind, his parents answered, but we do not know how he now sees. We do not know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he's of age, he'll speak for himself. Now, we know for him to be of age, that means he's 30 years old. And so they're like, hey, hey, he's got to talk for himself. Don't drag us into this. You go, why are they so defensive? It's almost like they're saying to their son, they're like, boy, now you did it. Of all days to get healed, you had to get healed on the Sabbath. Of all people to heal you, you had to have Jesus heal you. Boy, you've been nothing but trouble all our days, right? Now, why in the world were the parents acting like that? Well, we find out in the next verse, verse 22. His parents said these things because they were afraid of the Jews. That's the religious leaders. Since the religious leaders had already agreed that if anyone confessed Jesus as the Messiah, he would be banned from the synagogue. And so they they didn't want to get mixed up with Jesus and this healing. So they're just real defensive. They don't come to their son's aid. Do you see what's happening here? Their fear of man was greater than their love for their son. And you know, we can do exactly the same thing. We can be so afraid of what people think about us that we will turn our back on Jesus Christ or maybe the people that love us. Fear makes cowards of us all. And so what's happening here is that this man, he's beginning to put all this together. Man, nobody's caring for me. Not the disciples, not the neighbors, not even my parents. Nobody really cares about me. The only person that has ever cared about me is Jesus Christ. And let me let you in on a secret. It's the same way for you. It's true. I mean, as a church, as Christians, we want to love, we want to care, but listen, we're all flawed, right? We all got clay feet, we're all broken, we all make mistakes, we'll all let you down, everybody will let you down, but there is one who will never let you down. His name is Jesus Christ. And Jesus will stand with you. And so he realizes that. And so what does he do? He decides he's going to stand with Christ. Jot that down. The formerly blind man stands with Christ. And suddenly this guy, who's been called a sinner, labeled all his life, has incredible boldness in front of these religious leaders. Check it out. Verse 24. So a second time they summoned the man who'd been blind and told him, give glory to God. We know that this man's a sinner. Basically, they couldn't deny that a miracle had happened. And so they're like, okay, all right, you got really healed, but Jesus had nothing to do with it. He's a sinner. And so what is his response? Verse 25. He answered, whether or not he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind and now I see. (laughs) Verse 26. 
Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? I love this. I already told you, he said, and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You don't want to become his disciples too, do you? (laughs) I mean, did you see the sarcasm dripping off of those words, right? He goes, oh, I know why you're so interested in my healing. You want to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. Boy, they were mad at that kind of attitude. Verse 28, they ridiculed him. You're that man's disciple, but we're Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke through Moses, but to this man, we don't even know where he's from. And so here's these religious leaders. They're the most learned people of their culture. They, they studied the scriptures, memorized it, a lot of it. And here's a man who's only been healed a few hours, and he's going to take them back to Sunday school. I mean, it, it's amazing. He's been labeled a sinner all his life. And now he has an opportunity to label Jesus a sinner, but he doesn't. What does he do? Check it out. I love this. Verse 30. This is an amazing thing, the man told them. You don't know where he's from, and yet he opened my eyes. Let me give you a little Sunday school lesson. Biblical lesson one. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he listens to him. Biblical lesson number two. Throughout history, no one has ever heard of someone opening the eyes of a person born blind. Conclusion, if this man were not from God, he wouldn't be able to do anything. Do you see what's happening there? Blind man getting spiritual sight. He called Jesus a man, then a prophet. Now he is from God. In just a few verses, he's going to be worshiping Jesus as God. Well, how did they like being taught by this man? Look how they respond, verse 34. You were born entirely in sin, they replied. And you're trying to teach us. And then they threw him out. What does that mean? That means he's kicked out of the synagogue. Now, listen, the synagogue was a central part of their entire social, you know, network. And if you were kicked out of the synagogue, that means that, you know what? You're an outcast. You're ostracized. You're done in that community. So from this story, I want to give you some quick observations. Three very quick observations that you can take away from, with, from this passage for you today. Ready? Number one is this. First, standing for Jesus will cost you. Standing for Jesus will cost you. I mean, the the truth is, this man stood for Jesus Christ and he was kicked out of the synagogue. And it's the very same thing for you and I. Listen, we live in a world that hates Jesus. We, We live in a world that hates the word of God. And if you take your stand with Jesus Christ and the word of God, you're not gonna be popular. And so you gotta make up your mind. Either you're gonna be a world pleaser or you're gonna be a God pleaser. You've got to make your choice who you're going to follow. And yes, if you follow Jesus Christ, you need to know it's going to cost you something. But Jesus says, make the choice. Jesus once in another place said, how can you be ashamed of me in this adulterous and perverted culture? Folks, we live in an adulterous, perverted culture, and yet so many Christians are ashamed to even identify with Jesus anymore. You know what Jesus said? Look at what Jesus said in Matthew 10. He said, therefore, everyone who will acknowledge me before others, I'll also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I will also deny him before my Father in heaven. Don't be ashamed of Jesus, folks. We know you follow Jesus, it's going to cost you. You're going to lose some friends but it's worth it. Second observation we learn from this story is this. 
When you stand for Christ, he'll stand with you. When you stand for Christ, he'll stand with you. I mean, this man's kicked out of the synagogue, and what happens? Jesus comes looking for him. I love this. Check it out. Verse 35. Jesus heard that he, they had thrown the man out. And when he found him, he asked him, do you believe in the Son of Man? And then down at verse 38, I believe, Lord. And he worshiped him. Man, that is so beautiful. This man who has come to complete sight, he now believes in Jesus Christ. And it's, it's amazing in me that here's Jesus Christ who he hunts him down. And it's the very same thing for you. Whenever you stand for Christ, there's times you're gonna feel like you're all alone. I'm telling you, you're never alone. Jesus will hunt you down. He knows where you are. He knows where you're hurting. He knows where you're struggling. He knows what's going on in your life. And he says, I'll stand with you even when no one else will. Jesus stands with you. Third observation we learn from this passage is this. Following Jesus means loving like Jesus. Following Jesus means loving like Jesus. You go, what does that mean? That means you start seeing people the way Jesus sees people. And you start loving people the way Jesus loves people. That means what? That means um, getting some dirt on our hands. Maybe getting outside our comfort zone. Maybe getting down on our hands and knees and loving somebody where it's uncomfortable to us. That's what it means to follow Jesus Christ. You see, the problem is, is that in the American church, we've had it so good for so long that we play a good game and we go through all of our religious motions and we say, oh yeah, 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 I, I love people, I love people, but we're never willing to get outside of our comfort zone. Well, I'm telling you, it is time for us to get our hands dirty. Long before Jesus ever got his hands bloody, he got his hands muddy and so we are to join him and we're to get on our hands and knees and do the uncomfortable things to love the unlovely around us. Do you know Why? Because one day, there's going to be a hand check. It's called the final judgment. And Jesus is going to say, let me see your hands. Look at how Jesus said that. In Matthew 25, Jesus said, I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, you didn't take me in. I was naked and you didn't clothe me. Sick and in prison and you didn't take care of me. Truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for the least of these you did not do for me. We are called to be like Jesus. That means see people the way Jesus saw people, love people the way Jesus loved people. And what does that mean? Getting our hands dirty like Jesus did. And here's the promise. If we will start loving people the way Jesus did, we're gonna see sight, spiritual sight come back. We're going to see the dead spiritually rise again. We're going to see God work miracles in people's lives. But we've got to start being the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your grace in our lives. Lord Jesus, thank you for giving us the real example of what true love looks like. Forgive us, Lord, for just playing games. Forgive us for just going through motions. God, we want to really follow you even whenever it's gonna cost us because Jesus worshiping you, it's worth it all. And so God, would you please speak right now to this church? 
to every life here. You know what every person's going through. So we're asking in Jesus' name that you speak and move and help us now to respond in obedience to your word. We pray this for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a sermon series called The Seven Commands of Christ. Jesus gave dozens of commands, and as followers of Jesus, we should obey all of them. Over the next several weeks, we are focusing on seven that will change your life. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses, or you can attend online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. You know, there's so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing here at Silverdale, and we really want you to feel welcome and a part. So please stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on the different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.